This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to another episode of Double Tap. It's Wednesday, it's the 10th of January, 2024. And coming up today, we're meeting the founder of the popular app Seeing AI. Sakeem Sheikh joins us from Microsoft. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Hey, Sean Priest, I'm guessing you're still stuck inside that biscuit tin you found. Don't, what are you doing? Don't, don't reveal things. That was off air. Unbelievable. Yes. Christmas biscuits. I can't get enough of them. Yeah. Sorry. That is I will be munching all through the show. I yeah. do apologise. No, it is a disgrace. I'll tell you why it's a disgrace. It's not a disgrace that you're eating biscuits on the show. I mean, that's a that's another question entirely, one which we will raise, of course, with management a bit later. God bless um, you, Mr. Cookies. <laughs> the cookie monster himself. <laughs> uh, but no, I think it's more uh, shocking that there are any left. That's the bit that's shocking me. Well, I'll be honest with you. I'm not really a biscuit man. I know, breaking news, but I just rescued these from the bedroom. And I haven't been eating them. I will say that much, but someone else has. I'm well, not going to point well, any fingers, but Sarah I was gonna say, I was going to say, yeah, it's, it's, unless you take multiple people into that bedroom... Steady. I'm guessing it's difficult to work out who else it would be. <laughs> well, to be honest, the dog's in there most of the time. Okay, the dog uh, could have absolutely dragged them in. Yeah, that does yes, make sense, yes. actually. Yeah. There you go. You know what Labradors are like? It's funny. I love my uh, wife's guide dog, Coco, because she finds things I drop on the floor. And I usually have to be very quick to do that assessment of, is she eating it <laughs> or is she playing with it? And I have to work out then what it is. So it's a USB dongle from a keyboard I've been looking for for several weeks. Or... Oh. Is it something that I've dropped on the floor that happens to have some remaining food item in it? And well, uh, yeah, you've got to do, that, got to do a very quick check, right? Because the dog shouldn't be eating anything other than its food. So you've got to be careful. The dog walked past me the other day and had a, a Sony Link Bud in its mouth. I mean, those were in its case on my desk. I have no idea. <laughs> you just do it to taunt me, annoy me. There was a woman, I remember years ago, a story of a woman who had a guide dog and she was going to work every day. She would go the same route every single day and she always fed the dog only what the dog was allowed, which in, in, it may be different around the world, but here in the UK, it's, you get like a, it's a tiny amount of, of kibble, kibble for breakfast yes. and then for, for dinner. And that's it. That's all they get. And it's not a lot at all, but it's enough to keep the dog lean and, and you know not let the dog get overweight. And that's important. Nutritional. Uh, Yeah, exactly. But then she goes to the vet and the vet says to her, this dog is putting on a lot of weight. What are you feeding this dog? And she's like, I'm just feeding the dog what I I feed. I mean, not anymore, not any less. But she says, I'm sorry, but this dog is getting overweight. You're going to have to do something about this. So she decides to go out and get a GoPro camera and (laughs) essentially tie it around the dog's neck. Okay. You get these, you actually get harness. You can get these great clips for the harness. You can actually put the, the GoPro go, go yes. camera on. Uh, do that we now. should just say, don't, don't, yeah, tie don't wrap them around the dog's, dog's yes. neck. Yeah, yes. it's probably a bad idea. A correct um, harness, yes. Yeah. And uh, so she did. She put the, the GoPro on and she gave the GoPro after a couple of days. She forgot about it. She, she gave the GoPro to a friend and said, Do you want to maybe see if there's anything on the route? Because it's like a 10, 15 minute walk. Do you need to look through this footage and see if anything's happening? And so she walks, as she's walking along the road, on three days in a row, there is a butcher 
who's coming out of his shop, and as she's walking past, unbeknown to her, the butcher is slipping the dog a sausage. <gasps> well, you know what? What a charming... Three, three days. Um, a charming, amusing uh, story there, right? Everyone find that very charming. That is terrible. What? Just totally ignoring her? Yes. As a person for a start. I mean, that's weird. Just like, oh, here's a dog coming up. And he's obviously used to seeing the dog going by every day. So he's got used to that. And the dog, what's more impressive is the dog is managing to do it without any kind of change in direction or... It's like a relay race, right? Yeah. The dog says, I'll have that. And just carry on striding on. Yeah. <laughs> Done. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I, honestly, yes, okay, we could get into the how strict you need to be with your guide dog. I'm not getting into that. But the the very fact that the guy did that without acknowledging her, I know. Though, that's what I find just a little bit creepy. Yeah. Um, anyway, interesting story. But uh, yes, okay, well, that moves us on from your uh, story of uh, biscuits. Yeah, can I eat a biscuit now? Have I got Feel free, a, yes. a minute or so? Good. I have a okay. story to tell you. I Another will mute story. you tell me a story. This is more tech related. I know, shocking, right? I mean, I, 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 I know, thank you. Breaking the, news. Yeah. Anyway, um, you know that, you know that uh, airplane, nearly airplane disaster that, that happened recently, the Alaska Airlines flight? This was the mm. flight, if you remember, it was the Boeing 737 MAX 9, which lost an entire door shortly after takeoff from Oregon, which thankfully nobody was injured or, you know, harmed in any, you know, real meaningful way here. This was, this was a tragedy which was kind of averted and, and actually kind of impressive as well that this plane, despite what happened to it, the pilot got Terrifying. it back on the ground and everyone was okay. Um, but must have been terrifying on the, I mean, I think there was, there was a few things that happened. I mean, there was, there was lots of things that kind of flew out of the aircraft. Yeah. Um, a shirt off a, a, a child's Yeah, body. that's right. She pulled the, and, uh, and the child was injured. The child had like a red burn mark where the, because obviously the was, force. Yeah. You see it on films and you think, is that actually how it happens? And uh, apparently so. All the smartphones went out. The, the cabin door, the cockpit door actually opened under the force. I yeah, mean, and the um, force. And and the thing is because they were three miles up at this point. That was I think the height of the the, the plane. Three miles or something up. Um so, you know, obviously and at four hundred miles an hour as well. So, you know, take all that into I mean, I, I'm trying to imagine what that means in terms of pressure. I have got no idea. It just no, means basically open the door, everything's gone. Um but thankfully, thankfully everyone survived it and it was fine. Um, not great for the plane, and it has raised some concerns around that particular plane. Apparently, I saw recently the story was that they had found loose bolts. Yep. Just needed tightened. I mean, the thing is, you know, I am no expert. As you know, when it comes to DIY, I'm not the guy you come to. <laughs> DIY? I thought you were going to say on aero, aeronautical uh, engineering, but no. No, no, You're no. no I'm, I'm, general, I'm general DIY. But even I know you've you got to tighten the bolts. Tighten the bolts with a hammer. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, anyway. It's scary. 179 grounded, apparently, of these planes. Yes, that's right. Well, um, here's the uh, other story out of this. So you mentioned smartphones were, were sucked out of the aircraft, and one of them was an iPhone. I mean, that's, what the, that's, that's a real tragedy here. And I know exactly what you're going to say. Carry on. <laughs> did you read this story? I so did. The, the iPhone that was sucked out of the plane was found undamaged after a fall of 16,000 feet. 
Yeah. Completely undamaged iPhone. And they knew it was from the... I'm still eating a biscuit. I do apologise. The only problem was that the charging cable had been severed. It was still plugged in. Yes. <laughs> but Which is not a huge surprise, yeah. No. A part of the charger was still plugged into the phone, <laughs> broken off when the iPhone got yanked out of the door, technical term. Um, it was found by uh, Simanthan Bates, I think that's right, or Nathan Bates, who reports that the iPhone was in airplane mode. Well, that's good. Um, had around 50% battery charge and was opened to an Alaska Airlines baggage claim. It's funny, the phone was in airplane mode, but the phone wasn't in the airplane. I mean, wow. And, and still <laughs> still working after that much. I'm, I want to know what case it had on. Well, that's, that's exactly the question I want to know. No one has said in this article what the case was, because I, I tell you, there is an opportunity here. There is a marketing opportunity because, you know, obviously companies, when they, when they hear this news, if they know that it's their product on there, they'll jump on this. But they obviously want to hold off a little bit. You know, let's see the whole story here before we start jumping on this and capitalizing yes, on this particular situation. Story. Exactly. Uh, you don't want to do that. So they may be holding off. But, you know, I, I'm going to guess it's an autobox. I'm just putting it out there. I think it's an autobox because those are strong cases. Apparently so. Yeah, no, that is. I don't know if it is or not. I don't know if it is or not. <laughs> but it certainly survived. I mean, that's quite a drop. So, um, interestingly, in mid 2020, or sorry, late 2020, a SkyDriver dropped his iPhone from 14,000 feet and it survived also with an apparently rugged case. Okay. Well, so this is, not, okay. this is not unusual for people to drop these phones or and not necessarily drop the phone in this case, but lose the phone in this case and it survived. Yeah, but it sort of makes those YouTube drop tests sort of, uh, well, that's <laughs> that what you're talking it, about. It's, that's taking it to the next level, isn't it? That's <laughs> not 16,000 feet on the top of a stepladder. That's rubbish. Are you, suggest, no are you suggesting that what happened here was not actually an air accident? You think some Instagram influencer was <laughs> out there with a screwdriver before the plane took off, saying, I'll just loosen that door a little bit, and then it will blow off mid, and then we can do this test, and then someone goes, look, hey, look at this case, it's great. It's all for what YouTube. What was the iPhone? Was it an iPhone 15? Was it the latest one? They're just doing the reviews. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's it's funny, though. Uh, I've got to say, though, if it, if would you expect a phone to break? Never mind the height. If it hit grass or anything other than cement. Yeah, well, that's it. If it was found in, in you know, wilds, then it, it probably would be just bouncing. Or, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know what it's yes. But they said that it was found uh, by the, uh, or was handed, I should say, um, to the National Transportation Safety Board, as it should be. And uh, they say that uh, the NTSB told him this was the second phone to be recovered after the accident. No mention of what the f- second one or what happened to it. Was that an Android? Oh, it's a don't. Was it no, I knew you were going to go there. It's raining phones. That could have been dangerous. That hits you on the head. <laughs> I know. But an interesting and, uh, story nonetheless. But there you go. So I, I think I'll, I'll be intrigued to see what the, uh, what the company is behind this case, because that is going to come out at some point. It is going to come out. And yes. uh, everyone's going to be buying that phone case. Unless it wasn't in a case at all, and it still survived. No, no, it was in a case. It was definitely in a rugged case. Oh, okay. I don't. I, I don't think it would have survived quite the same. I think it would have had a cracked screen or something. But like you say, it depends what it hits. Yeah. If it just hits absolutely. grass or soil, then it's probably going to be okay. Are you still using a case on yours? I am. I'm actually. I'm using the. What am I using? The Nomad case. I love Nomad cases. They're kind of posh cases. 
Oh, oh, well, if you're using Pulse. But you're not. I remember when I first got my case, my first case for my first phone, it was, uh, I'm pretty sure it was an Otterbox Defender. Yeah, those are good. And it was a big thing. You had to clip it together. It was huge. But oh, I, I remember mean, those. Yeah, that's right. You used to have to, you got them in bits. It was like an yeah. Ikea phone case. <laughs> that's right. But I mean, <laughs> man, it felt very secure and safe in there. And now I use my phones without a case at all. Well, that's a disgrace. This one I've got now, I'm using the case from Apple for the iPhone 15. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, well, those are nice. Those are nice. But I, I chose a couple. Of, I actually got a couple of the Nomad cases. I got one of the, they're both leather, because I still like the leather cases. And I, I saw, actually, I think, is it Autobox? I think it was Autobox I saw at CES this week are announcing, you know, their more economical, not economical, what's the ecological, whatever the, the you know, save the planet <laughs> stuff, right? Something with E, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's saving Energetic. the planet. You know, it's not really leather. It's something else. You know, I can't believe it's not leather. Well, that's good. Yes. Um, so yeah, good for them. But for me, I do like. Uh, well, I don't. I don't. I, I like the like leather, but I always like the nomad stuff. And uh, I got one which was just your standard case, which is nice. But then I got the folio case, and it holds the cards in there, and it's got you know the who uses <sighs> cards? Come on now, unless you're you know using it a travel card of some sort, you don't use cards. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that, right? Because yes. there I am the other day. And I'm using Apple Pay, and I've got my bank card in the in the wallet as well, right? So I've got the the folio case kind of flipped back. So my oh, uh, this is interesting. Okay, it's not really, but you know, the card no, is, is in the back, and so I've got the, the 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 thing is folded out, right? So you can see the cards are kind of sticking out the back, and then I'm using Apple Pay on the front. I'm using Apple Pay on the phone, and it didn't register for Apple Pay, and in fact, it got confused because both cards were essentially right next to each other. You know, oh, I had my, my contactless card roulette. and my Apple Pay. It was like, which one's going to take? And um, I, I, it a, kind of makes you think, well, why Why am I carrying this card around? You know, because yes, everything's exactly Apple Pay. Right. And it's so much more secure to use Apple Pay or even Google Pay. Hello, Android. We love you. Well, it, it, No, it's so much more secure. It uses a randomized uh, card number every time so no one can clone it. Why yeah. would you carry your card around? Stephen, please stop it. <sighs> Look, I want to talk about a different keyboard case, which has uh, been announced oh. and is coming out at CES and uh, is going to be, um, I think, quite interesting for a lot of us. I think this is the one that I'm interested in, but I'm a little bit concerned about the size that it's going to make the phone. Kind of talk, touched on this yesterday when we had Shelley Brisbane on with us. I was talking about clicks. This is a clicks technology that have announced an iPhone case with a built-in keyboard on the bottom. Uh, the case is called Clicks 2. It's available for $139. The 14 Pro version starts shipping uh, on February 1st. The 15 Pro goes out in mid-March, and the company are also taking reservations for a $159 iPhone 15 Pro Max model, which they say will come in early spring. Um, this is really interesting, actually, because there have been... It- well, there's been various attempts at this over the years. <laughs> and I'm always interested in making typing on the iPhone experience better and more portable. Because it's not always feasible to pull out a, an iPhone or a, a Bluetooth keyboard. Bluetooth you know, it's keyboard. Not I, I totally can't agree do that with all you. the time. Yes. And I've got to say, when I'm out and about, I find typing on the on-screen keyboard far more difficult than when I'm sat at home. 
Yes, it, it's that's just, right. It, for whatever reason, it's it just doesn't work very well, and it's hard to dictate in some noisy um, situations. So, uh, yeah, I totally agree with. There's a need there, but is this the answer? I think the reason you find it difficult outside is because I think we don't realise how much concentration we require to do this. You know, you yeah. do need a bit of concentration because you you can't see the the keyboard. So you're trying to kind of memorise where things are on the keyboard, or or you're using that horrible. You know, slide and then tap and then slide and then double tap or whatever. I hate yeah. that. I absolutely hate it. I have to do it outside because, like you, it just takes me forever. But it takes me so long to type. I don't always trust dictation. It gets it okay sometimes. It doesn't get it okay other times. Depends on what I'm using. If I'm using AirPods Pro, for example, terrible. If I'm using the AirPods Wired, the earpods, it's great because it oh, hears everything I'm saying. So that's There's your answer. That's the simple answer, yeah. But um, anyway, this is a bit different. So what you do is you've got uh, essentially a phone case. You slide the phone into it. You carefully line up the phone's power port with the USB-C or lightning connector jutting out from the inside edge. So it's like those uh, battery cases you would get before. Um, And then you snap the case around the top so it kind of locks the phone inside and then the the actual keyboard part is connected into the device. Now, Clix doesn't use Bluetooth, nor does it contain a battery. Instead, it draws power from the phone. That's not a bad thing. And also, you know, having no wireless or Bluetooth makes the keyboard a little bit more responsive, I'd imagine, cuts down on any uh, latency issue. Um, according to Click's website, the case will support pass-through fast charging on the iPhone 15 Pro. However, it does not have a built-in magnet, so MagSafe accessories like chargers and wallets won't stick to it. Wireless charging oh, should still no. work. I should hope so. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, there's also hmm. supposedly a companion app coming soon to the Apple App Store, which will, in their uh, words, uh, continue to bring new functionality to the keyboard over time. Uh, the case will be available in two colours. Bumblebee. That's yellow. Yellow. And London Sky. Oh, <laughs> gr- grey? Blue? Exactly. A greyish blue. No that is exactly it. A greyish blue. Uh, and um, <laughs> there'll be other uh, or early access to new colours if you go for the Founders Edition, which I guess you can get off the, the website. Um, the team behind this include former employees from Apple, BlackBerry and Google, which is interesting, actually, because especially well, when you say BlackBerry, right? Because you think, oh, that's interesting. Because there have been pedigree. Yes. Well, there have been attempts at this before. There was one where I think Ryan Seacrest had invested money in, but the whole thing got kicked out because or destroyed because... Quite frankly, BlackBerry sued them, sued the company, not Ryan Seacrest, but sued the company for uh, basically stealing the idea of the BlackBerry keyboard. This, right, that's it. No, sorry. This no, is different. St- no, stop right here. What? Why? Why? So this keyboard is tiny, right? Because it's no, it's the same width as the width of your iPhone. Yes. So it's tiny, tiny but tiny... wider because the whole case size. Yeah, but yeah okay. okay. We're talking millimeters, yeah, yeah. right? So you got a, a, a tiny QWERTY keyboard. Why is that easier to type on than the on-screen? Well, look, I mean, I had the BlackBerry back in the day. And I, again, it depends on the type of keyboard because I tried different keyboards as well. I had an HP, um, what was it called? It was a PDA. Remember those? Yes, of PDAs course. PDAs that yes. were out at the time. And, and, and it was in landscape full... mode, was it? The keyboard? Yeah, it, it, was, it was like a full... No, no it wasn't full, No, it wasn't. It was, it was no. kind of like... It was like a big BlackBerry device. It was much bigger than a BlackBerry phone. And it had a big stubby aerial in it as well. I always remember oh, it was one of those classic. ones. 
had a big docking station as well. You felt like you were, you know, inside Wall Street, the movie, you know, it was like, yes, it's really important. (laughs) And the keyboard was lovely on it, but it wasn't as good as the BlackBerry one. So you don't always get it right. It's not like, why do you keep saying this? What was it about the BlackBerry keyboard? Easiest keyboard to type on ever. It really was. It was so easy. Just the design of it, the design of the keys, you know, you could literally use your thumbs and you could tap away at that so easily. It was so easy to type without error. And it was a, such a, a clever design, and the way they had, the way they had laid the keys out, they were almost, almost kind of on the side. The keys they weren't straight square keys; they were just kind of slightly, you know, moved angled. Or, or, angled, yeah. I suppose that's the right word because I can't think of any other one. No, um, but probably isn't. It's me. It's probably the wrong word. No, but, okay. but I think you know that was it. You know, the kind of angled keys that meant that you could put your thumbs and you could put your nail on them, and, and you could type merrily. So easy to type and. That and design was incredible. Let's, oh, yeah. Let's get this clear, because this would well, be I couldn't back see in the, the keyboard days. even then. Really? Oh, oh okay. yeah. I mean, well, there's no way right. I could have seen them. I mean, I, was, I, I'm, I am a touch typist, so maybe that was something, but I don't know. I don't think that was the... I don't think that was... Per- well, maybe it was. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it is that I, I just have never experienced a small keyboard like that, which I thought, oh, this is nice to type on. I've still thought, oh, well, this is terrible to type on because it's tiny keys. I know they're tactile, more physical, of course, which is better than the on-screen, nothing there at all keyboard. Mm. But I still find it a terrible experience. So maybe I'm yet to be convinced. Maybe I missed out on that BlackBerry magic. Yeah, and also BlackBerry wasn't accessible, really. For, no, for blind people, not. it certainly no. wasn't accessible. No, no. So you know, low vision. I was lucky because I got the. I was able to use it with the font size was at fifty six point. I remember that was the highest it could go, and I thought I was in heaven because I finally had a phone I could see. So you know, I was loving it back then. Um, but and there were attempts at screen readers for it, but it didn't really take off. And uh, yeah, yeah, and then was, the whole thing yeah. died when the iPhone came out. So <laughs> that was the end of that. But as a um, lot of other things did as well. Yeah. But I think a lot of people longed for that keyboard to return. So there's been lots of attempts. This could be just another in the long line, you know, of, you know graveyard of keyboards for iPhones. <laughs> but, I hope it does work. It may be great. Yeah. I just get, I just get a terrible feeling that is this just rose tinted spectacles or a bit of nostalgia love. Well, I'll tell you Actually, why I think this might not work as well, because I think the size is going to be an issue here. When you, I mean, you, okay, let's not even talk about the iPhone 15 Pro Max. That is going to be huge. Yes. that's With an additional keyboard at the bottom? Yeah. I mean, a 15 Pro, that might be okay. I don't know. I mean, I think about my 15 Pro with a keyboard. Yeah, I'm okay. It might work. I don't know. It's also going to depend on the build quality, how it stacks up next to the phone itself. You know, does it make the phone look cheap? Does it make it feel cheap? I don't know. You know, if it's if it's good hardware, then I would hope not at that price. I would. Hope well, yeah, but you know, to be honest, I don't know if that's. I, I, I look at some keyboards today, and I think to myself, this is a lot of money for what this is. I don't remember picking up that. I mean, I love Logitech keyboards, but I picked up the Logitech keys to go, and I thought this is an embarrassment. I mean, I, I almost felt like hiding it from the other Logitech keyboards in the shop, just so that don't people look at it. Don't look at this thing. It's an embarrassment. <laughs> that's true. I, I, yeah. This is the child I, in the loft. I think the MX keys itself is 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 quite uh, quite expensive for what it is. But the thing is, it, it, it honestly it won't matter if it is as usable as the BlackBerry keyboard was, as you say it was, and it is that great and of a, of an experience to use. 
You know what? It's still smaller than a Bluetooth keyboard to carry around with you all the well, time. Well, that's it. That's People exactly will, it. Okay. It, it Actually, this makes it better. So they will put up with the extra size of the uh, of the whole thing. It's funny that one of the uh, creators of this says, you know, calling uh, he calls the abandonment of hardware keys in smartphones kind of odd. He says, uh, given creators use keyboards on their laptops and other devices. It's kind of like, you know, why wouldn't you have a keyboard, a physical keyboard? Uh, but it's also got other things as well, other features of computer keyboards. And this could be interesting for us. You know, it's kind of a bit of a tenuous link, but it has but got... we'll do it. Well, it's got two <laughs> things that are kind of, I guess, unusual. I don't know. I mean, one is a backlight. That's a common thing on computer keyboards um, these days. That's maybe not as big news. But it does have, and especially remind, reminding us this is an iPhone, it has a command key. Now, most iPhone keyboards, I don't think, have a command key, certainly not the, the uh, virtual ones. And why does it have it? Well, it's to use the iOS keyboard shortcuts. So, for example, you could use Command H to go back to the home screen on an iPhone or Command plus the space bar to open search. And you I could, would hope it did. Yeah, but now we know that because we know how a lot of these commands work from ourselves, but a lot of people don't know that. They don't know that they have these shortcuts. Now, that, oh, I suppose so. Yeah. that could be good for us because it gives us some options. And, of course, if there's customization available on that that could be pretty cool i am i think this i mean i'm not going to buy a, a, a apple vision pro anytime soon but i'd buy this this does sound pretty cool so when it comes out in march mid-march i think is going to be when the 15 pro one comes out i am definitely going to get myself one of these to try because i like the sound of this it's going to take you back to the oh when was blackberry early 90s late 90s mm. ah Glorious. No, no, no. Yes. Hang on. No, it wasn't. It was mid mid two thousands. Was it? Yeah. I mean, I had my I had my BlackBerry when I was uh, oh, was it two thousand and eight. I got my first BlackBerry. Got rid of it in twenty eleven or twenty ten. It seems so long ago. The iPhone just <laughs> ravaged everything. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That I'll doesn't seem that long ago. But some, I saw something the other day which made me feel really old. It said we are closer to twenty forty than we are twenty fourteen. And I was like, right, that's it. I'm out. I'm done. I, I don't even want to think. I'm going to have a biscuit. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Uh, coming up next, we're going to be joined by Saqib Sheikh. He is one of the founders, well, one of, I would say, the founder of Microsoft's Seeing AI app. And he is here to dish the dirt on all of the uh, foundational work that went on into creating this app and maybe giving us a glimpse into the future. All that coming up on Double Tap. Follow Double Tap on social media at Double Tap On Air and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and email us feedback at doubletaponair.com. We'll be right back. Call the Double Tappers now, 1-877-803-4567 or email us feedback at doubletaponair.com. We'll get to more of your feedback shortly, but uh, today on the show, we are so happy to welcome someone who I've been keen to get on this program for some time. And I know, Sean, you have too, because, you know, seeing AI is an app that we use a lot and it's just growing and growing and growing. And I'm just so pleased to welcome uh, the guy behind the app, the guy who actually created it uh, as part of a hackathon event. You have to tell us more about all of that. Saqib Sheikh from Microsoft. Great to have you with us today, Saqib. No, thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. It's great to have you here and a great chance to learn about the work that is going on 
at Microsoft with Seeing AI, which you know, I've got to say, Sakib, it's just an incredible application. It really is. What a fantastic app. And I know so many people in the blind community who rave about Seeing AI. It is the go-to app in my life when my computer starts acting up or, you know, some some notification comes up. Actually, the one I learned about recently was on my TV that kept telling me it was turning itself off to save power. And I had no idea why the TV would keep going off. And then I was able to use Seeing AI because it would come up, of course, and I could use the short text feature to read the, the screen, and it was just incredible. Uh, tell us about your role uh, in this, because you've been in this from the beginning, right? Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, right from the beginning, it started off as a personal side project where I yeah, I studied artificial intelligence many a year ago, and we had this hackathon at Microsoft. This was a one-week event where the CEO, Satya, said, you know, anyone can follow your passion, do what you want for a week. And that was an incredible moment. And I was like, okay, okay, I'm not going to waste this. And I thought, okay, I'm going to bring my personal passion for accessibility and artificial intelligence together. And that was the very first sort of thing that became Seeing AI. And from there, um, of course, eventually we launched and started getting all the feedback from users. And from there, it sort of became this ongoing conversation. We kept talking with the community, seeing what the challenges were that people want addressing, talking to scientists and researchers and seeing, okay, what is the latest and greatest that could be leveraged to create these new experiences? And that's sort of been the journey that we've been on for a number of years now. It's absolutely amazing, as Stephen said. I must admit, I'm a little bit starstruck here. I mean, you know, you do keep me fed. You're the reason I know what ready meals I'm eating out of my fridge. It's it's amazing. I love, I'm being a little bit frivolous here, but um, no, it's it's made a, a huge impact seeing AI, that's for sure. I'm, I'm interested. You say this was almost like a, a personal passion project for you. Uh, how? What were you trying to solve in the first place, in the initial thoughts about what you could do with AI and how you could bring that in for accessibility? What was your initial, because as it is, seeing AI is you know so many tools in one, but what was the initial thing you were trying to solve with it? I think there were a bunch of apps that did one thing and maybe I, in each case, I was like, oh, I wish it did this differently. And then there were other things where there was no app that did that thing. So in the very beginning, it was, okay, can we read and recognize um, different objects and so forth? And what was great is that when I started it, it was just, you know, myself tinkering. But then quickly, word got around Microsoft, and there's so many scientists and engineers who sort of joined the mission, I'd say. Uh, and back then, I had never seen computers generate descriptions of images. There just wasn't a thing. And then we found a researcher working on that problem. And I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't know this was possible. So this is, I'm 2015-ish. And eventually that became a thing. And you know now that technology is everywhere. So that's sort of been this journey where it's not been one or two or three people, but it's always been a mission from across the company, bringing loads of people together with all their expertise to to make this happen. Yeah. So do you think that's the secret to why it works so well? Because, you know, we have had various 
OCR, let's say, let's just take one aspect of it, you know, OCR apps in the past. But there's something about seeing eye that the, the, the responsiveness, the way it works, I don't know if it's the UI, I, I don't know what the magic source is, but there's no denying it just works so well. <laughs> Thank you for saying so. I think it's really focusing on the user experience and solving the problems that people have and that close connection to our customers and, as I said, to the scientists so we can have the cutting-edge technology. And then that middle bit, which is how do we make these experiences which make it seamless? You mentioned like even something like reading text in real time, it feels like, you know, it's just reading text, but we end up putting a lot of thought into even a basic feature like that to see how would this just be the most natural experience? Because I remember very early days, people were just like, I'm astonished by how much writing there is around me. And, you know, we were at a coffee shop, then every product has something written on it, things on the wall, things all around you, all the way through to today, where we have these incredible rich descriptions of pictures. And again, people are telling us the details and the amount of information you can get about the world around you is is incredible. But it's, it's also about the lived experience of people in the room who have visual impairments, who are totally blind, who can join that conversation. And of course, you are one of those people, right, that you're blind yourself and you can talk from that experience. Obviously, you're bringing your professional angle and all of that in as well. But you know, you, you can help shape this to be something that is led by the community rather than something for the community, which there is a, a distinct difference between the two, right? Yeah, a big difference. And that's a key part of our culture and the way we work is that it's with the community, not for. So I am one such user myself, but only one. So it really is about bringing in the community, understanding the needs and making sure that we're always grounded in that. You don't want this situation where someone has a technology and it's like, oh, I'm going to make this great thing and everyone's going to benefit. It's because you never know what assumptions you're going to end up making that maybe they won't be true. Maybe there'll be some aspect of the lived experience that invalidates all your ideas. And then you go back to the drawing board with the community. There's some things where I just think that um, I just presume that, that a technology can't do something. And so I'm not expecting it to. Um, so I would think, you know, even as someone who uses assistive technology all the time, there's still some sort of limitations in, in my mind of what it can do. I'm, I'm thinking specifically because you mentioned how short text, the, the real-time OCR, and you sort of labelled it as, as a basic function. That is something that really changed everything for me. You know, not having to set, uh, take a picture, frame things up, just real-time OCR. And as you said, it's so responsive and, and it picks up so many different things so quickly that you sort of, I almost learn things about what's around me. Well, why is it saying that? Oh, it's pointing that way. There must be something over there. But I used it the other day to read a Christmas card that I got. Now, I was just expecting it to read the printed you know, uh, poem inside or a message inside, whatever it was. But it actually read the handwriting message, you know, the, the personal message that was handwritten in. And that wasn't in handwriting channel. That was just in short text. And that blew me away. I mean, again, it was just something that I wasn't expecting the technology to be able to do. And it did it. 
Yeah, that's the fun thing about working in this field is there's always the technology is continually getting better. And especially right now with the new wave of AI, I myself am continually shocked at some of the results we get and just delighted by, you know, it's technology plus experience built with the community. I think that's that's what it's all about. Now, obviously, seeing AI has undergone some transformations over the years, although I will say very subtly done, uh, no major changes in the UI. And of course, as we all know, as blind people, that's always the good thing, you know, never move the sofa because I guarantee we'll never find it again or fall over it at the very last moment. So, you know, no major changes in that sense, but lots going on under the hood. And of course, tons of new features, indoor navigation coming out in 2023, of course, another amazing part of seeing AI. But of course, the big story takes place at the end of the year. It arrives on Android. Um, Got to ask the question, why did it take so long to get to Android? So he started with iPhone when this was, like I say, it started a side project, a bit of um, research to see what's possible. And so, yeah, really, we just decided on iPhone because of that moment in time for the audience we had. That's what most people were using. But yeah, now the team is like established and we've come to the point where we just want to reach as many people as possible. And there are 3 billion people out there using Android and really want to just bring it to people around the world, as many as possible. Well, you say around the world, and that's a really key component to this, right? Because I think it's fair to say, at least based on the stats that I've seen, that in the West, here in the UK or in the USA or in Canada, possibly even Australia, New Zealand, uh, some of European countries, you're going to find more blind people using iPhones. But when you come out of those countries and you go to Africa or you go to India, you're going to find more people using Android phones. And it does open up the potential for so many more people to get access to this. But of course, the key is languages, isn't it? It's not so much even the technology, it's the languages part. Is that the bit that that adds, because I imagine there must be a huge amount of work goes into building all the different languages required to work inside the app. Yeah, exactly. Like it's showing the app in the language, but then also making sure the AI works in each language. And so if you, if you think about bringing this to as many people as possible, it's the price point, as you mentioned, that it's way more affordable. Even in um, countries where there are a lot of iPhones, you still find that you know there are people who want the more affordable solution. And then Africa, Asia, it is just the vast majority of devices which are running Android. And we support 18 languages today, but we're hoping to double that because we want to meet everyone where they're at and bring this to people regardless of, you know, what language they speak. I want to ask you a little bit about the, the languages part and the building of the languages, and I guess the expansion of the app as well. Because, of course, as we all know, the big story of 2023 everyone's talking about is OpenAI and ChatGPT, Microsoft's investment in that. Has any of that helped? speed up the development of this app, as far as you're concerned? Because obviously, I mean, AI is in the title, right? So I guess it's kind of a given that it's part of it. But, you know, that when you go back to 2017, this was way before all this. So, you know, I, I just think, you know, how, how much has that in investment, how much has that involvement with OpenAI, Microsoft's involvement in that helped you develop this? Yeah, it's... It's on the one hand, it's another tool in a toolbox, but it's transformative. Like some of the capabilities we now have access to are like, you know, 
maybe 10 times better than what we had before. So when you take a picture on the scene channel or um, from another app or browsing your photos, you get a you get a very quick description in a fraction of a second. But if you double tap or tap more info, then you get a much richer description. It'll like generate a paragraph about what's in the photo. And the details it gives are so precise and so detailed. It is fascinating, something even a year ago I never would have imagined was possible, is possible now. And that's very exciting. And then, you know, the ability to say, ask questions about a document. So we've been able to scan documents and the quality has got way better over the years. But now to be able to ask for a summary or particular bits of information that you're looking for in this document is just a productivity booster for sure. But then for some people, it's not just productivity, it's enabling them if someone may be less familiar with technology, etc. So these are all things which we probably couldn't have done a year ago. And the partnership that Microsoft has with OpenAI, the investment has really been behind the scenes on that. Yeah, the um, the AI and seeing AI, I think, is, is really about to change everything. I, I, is there anything... I suppose you wouldn't be able to say. Is there anything upcoming or something, uh, a feature you would really like to see in seeing AI? There's always more upcoming. And <laughs> like I say, um, right now, this moment in time is just incredible. Every day I am amazed by what this new generation, which the geeky techie word is generative AI, uh, what that is capable of. And I'm like, wow, I didn't know we could do this or this. And so I, me and my team were in this moment of figuring out what are the cool new things that are going to be made possible. And I think over the next year, we're really going to see some exciting advancements. And of course, things don't stay still. So it's that sort of magic formula again of let, we're going to work with the community with all this incredible new AI, but then also those really seamless natural experiences that make make this just something you can slot into your daily life. So I'm, I'm so excited more than ever before. What, were you surprised by the reaction of the media? Because, you know, oftentimes when... when dare I say, our apps, our, our blind world apps, right? So seeing AI being, you know, a, a major part of our lives. Uh, you know, when, when an update comes or something new happens, of course, the latest news being seeing AI comes to Android. You know, you kind of expect the blind world to get excited about it. Everyone talks about it and that's great. But we actually saw a lot of mainstream media attention here as well. And I think that says something as well. Is it because AI is in the title that these magazines are picking up on it? Or do you think that there is a real interest out there? Do you get a sense there's a real interest in these types of apps and the, the, the kind of work that's going on that can benefit us as blind people? I think there really is an interest in that, yeah, AI is the hot topic right now, um, all the way across society. And AI is going to transform the way we all live and work, whether that's seeing AI, but like the co-pilots being built into Microsoft products and all that. However, I feel this is a way that it just so clearly helps people in their everyday lives. And I think as people, there's a lot of curiosity and fear and wonder about what AI could do and how it's going to change people's lives. And this is just so clearly something that can help people, I think, 
that's one reason people are so fascinated by it. And for those Android users out there that may be worrying or wondering, uh, are they going to be on a, a, a an equal playing field now? Is it like a shared code base? So if the iOS version gets a, a particular feature or update, then the Android version won't be too far behind or at the same time? Yeah, we're going to keep evolving um, both platforms and they might not always be identical, but we'll also make sure we play to the strengths of both platforms. So definitely, you know, we're going to be keep going with both platforms at the same time. So keep it's been wonderful talking to you. I'm so glad you came on. And, uh, you know, it's great to learn about the work that's going on at Microsoft. It, it is an incredible company. You must be so proud to work there and do what you do. Um, because, you know, it sounds like a great environment for fostering ideas. Like you're saying, you know, this idea that, that came out of, you know, from the CEO himself saying, hey, look, you know, come up with an idea. Let's see what we can do. And then allowing you to just get on with it and, and create that. That's that must be a really positive experience for you. Really is. This has been just so incredible. And I feel so fortunate to be on this journey and be a Microsoft and able to um follow this sort of life mission almost. And and yeah, like I say, more than ever before, right now, the idea of that we started with of an AI which can observe the world around you, know about what you need to know and fill in that gap for you. It just feels closer than ever before. So yeah, very fortunate to be doing this and very excited by what we could do. Yeah. So I'm just wondering as well, if I can just ask, you know, I still have my old BlackBerry phone. Will I get seeing AI on there anytime soon? <laughs> Not in the plan. Not in the plan. Okay. Well, you heard it here first. We got news out of you. There you now go. Now we know. Uh, Sakib, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for joining us on Double Tap. Thank you so much. And everyone, seeingai.com. Go download it. So great to have Saqib on the show with us, Sean. And just to, you know, I know you, you did try. You did try to get some news out of him, but no, uh, <laughs> sadly not. But um, yeah, what a great story. I, I've got to say, I, I just, I love seeing AI. It's yeah. a fantastic app. It just is. And it's something I use every day. Uh, let's move on to some emails because uh, we get so many of them. And uh, I want to get to uh, a few of them before we go today. Uh, Elijah got in touch talking about Apple Watch because you know me talking about the Apple Watch recently. I do have a bit of an update on this for you, but I'll hear what Elijah has to say first. Laura, as always, reads our emails. Hello. I would like to comment on a few things you talked about last week. I agree that besides the fitness and workout features, most of what the Apple Watch does is a matter of convenience since you can just use your phone but I still find it extremely useful. For example, it is much easier to notice when I have a notification when my watch vibrates and chimes on my wrist than when my phone vibrates in my pocket. Also, since iOS does not allow you to adjust the volume of notification sounds separate from the main volume, I cannot hear notification sounds from my phone without hearing voiceover start reading the notification pretty loudly, which is annoying and also a risk for privacy. And the watch does not have this problem. I have not experienced the issue where it is hard to check the time. Usually I just press the digital crown and it almost always speaks the time. Furthermore, if you have complications on your watch face, there will be an action on the rotor on each one called Enable Auto Speak, which makes it speak the complication automatically after the time. This is a good way of hearing various information quickly. I sometimes also use it to quickly check emails or messages or to respond to a message, especially when I connect my Orbit writer to it. 
The sleep tracking is very useful to me as well. And in watchOS 10, it will also tell you about your sleep stages and how much time you spent in each one. Some other things I do on my watch include checking where packages are, checking the calendar and weather, and using the compass complication to tell me which direction I'm facing. And it is very versatile, so you can adapt it to your own use case. I have the Apple Watch Ultra, and I appreciate the louder sound, longer battery life, greater durability, and action button. And I think you are correct that the Apple Watch SE is probably good for most people. I would also recommend the Dot Watch. It has four cells of Braille on the watch face and a dial in between two buttons on the side. In addition to reading the time in Braille, you can also connect it to your phone with Bluetooth and read notifications, four cells at a time. There is an auto-scroll feature as well, and after some practice, I could read comfortably at the maximum speed, and it actually isn't too bad. You can also scroll using two touch-sensitive areas above the display, and there is a stopwatch and a timer as well. In addition, you can write notes in the phone app and read them on your watch. It works with both iOS and Android, and the battery life lasts around a few days at least. Unfortunately, the company no longer sells them, and the website says they are developing a new model, but there is no information on when it will come out. However, maybe you can find one from a different seller or on eBay or something like that. I find it very useful for checking the time or reading notifications in quiet places when I shouldn't use my Apple Watch or when it's really loud and I can't hear it. You do have to be careful not to let it get wet or dirty since the Braille cells are pretty sensitive to these things. They sell skins for the display that protect it, but for me they usually get torn after a week or two. In your discussion about seeing AI being ported to Android, you mentioned the possibility that you might not have to change the code very much and could just recompile it for a different platform. However, this is often not the case, although it certainly can be for some apps. It depends on the way an app is developed. iOS and Android have completely different user interface APIs, and they each have many other APIs for things like storing data, using cameras or microphones, playing audio, running in the background, etc., Even worse, these APIs are written in such a way that they only work with certain programming languages and not very well with others. For Android, it's Java and Kotlin, while on iOS it's Objective-C or Swift. They do have a similar foundation, since iOS and Android are both Unix-like operating systems under the hood, and this often makes it possible in many cases to easily port code that does computations, so long as it is written in C or in another portable language and has a C interface. C and its APIs are at the lowest level on most systems, so a good way to make something really portable is to write it in C and mostly use standard C APIs. But as soon as you want to do any sort of input or output or user interface, you need to use platform-specific APIs. Some multi-platform apps are developed by writing a foundation using C APIs and then writing separate user interfaces for each platform on top of that, and this situation is similar for desktop platforms. I looked at the Soundscape repository and it seems it's entirely written in Swift, which means that probably all of the code would have to be rewritten for it to run on Android. Even if it used the approach I described above of writing a lot of the app in C and writing the user interface in Swift, there would be code that uses iOS GPS and audio APIs that would need to be adapted for Android. I cannot comment on seeing AI specifically, since it is closed source, but it will probably be pretty similar, especially if it uses the Apple machine learning APIs. There are some frameworks that make it easier to write apps for multiple platforms, such as Flutter, React Native, PhoneGap, and many others, and the way they usually work is they expose their own interface API and convert it to the specific API for each platform. They also usually use a higher-level programming language, so it's easier than writing everything in C, and expose APIs for other things like playing audio and GPS. 
However, there is usually some price you pay for using them, especially if you want your app to work on desktop platforms as well. Sometimes the performance is not as good. Sometimes the accessibility is not as good, especially on desktop. Sometimes they make your app not follow platform conventions for user interfaces or make it harder to do this. And often, if you want to do something unusual like machine learning, you still need platform-specific APIs. The new Ira Explore app uses Flutter, as do a lot of Google apps, and there are many examples of other frameworks being used as well. From Elijah. Elijah, thank you so much for writing that, because that is a heck of a lot of information you've imparted there. And, you know, I actually almost followed all of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, that was fantastic. I don't think that we need to pick up on anything no, there. That was, that was incredible. so so concise, full of facts there. Thank you. That was very, very interesting. Um, how about the Apple Watch? What were you going to say about the Apple Watch, Stephen? Well, I think I've come to the conclusion that me and the Apple Watch are just not getting on. And I'm just not loving it at the moment. I don't know what it is. It's just, I, I think I'm just not loving it. Maybe it's the Ultra. I don't know. Um, I never really hated, no, not hated, that's the wrong word. I didn't dislike oh. the other Apple Watches as much. So I'm either going to go down the route of getting an SE, but I don't think so. I think the truth is I'm probably going to move away from the Apple Watch. I don't know if I'll sell it yet. I don't know if I may sell it off. I may trade it in or whatever. Why and is it, it the Ultra that, well, that makes I, I you dislike it? I honestly don't know. I, I think it's probably more OS than device, but I just, I don't know. There's something about the way that the notifications come in, the information I'm getting from the watch. It just, it, it's giving me nothing that I'm, that I'm not having to search around a screen for. And I just want basic information. Like, where is the notification from? Blank, nothing, donk, donk. Or I agree. time, yes, nothing. And you're like, come yeah. on, you know, this should be easier than this. And I just, I I'm like not that. loving that. I did like that, Elijah, that, um, you know, when it comes to telling the time, I just press the, the digital crane. And usually it tells yes. me what time. It is. Sometimes. You know, yeah. You know, I mean, most <laughs> of the time it will. I agree. But there are there are some issues with this. And I, I think you're right. In, in the latest Watch OS, there are some issues here. I find sometimes I'm trying to swipe through and it is just donking away. It, it won't move. I can handle it to a degree, but I think the problem for me is I feel I just, you know, even the basic function of telling the time isn't as reliable as I'd like. And that is sometimes all I need. Yeah. I, okay, yeah, I can read a text or whatever, and that's nice, and I can reply to it, and that's all fine. But I just don't think I'm, I'm loving the watch as much. I'm not, I, I probably won't get rid of it. That's the truth. I probably won't get rid of it. I'm not going to probably sell it off as tempted as I might be, unless something amazing comes out. Not the Vision Pro. But unless something amazing comes up, <laughs> I'm not going to trade it in. But I am looking at alternatives. And at the minute, I'm looking at I'm trying to make that decision of whether I want a talking watch or... Because talking watches are great, but then there's a time and a place, literally, for them. And there are some occasions where you need, or ideally would want some tactile. I'd love to find, and if anyone knows of one, where you get the sort of best of both worlds, like tactile and talking. That would be interesting to me. Um, yeah. You know, like a Braille watch that's got speech in it. That would be kind of cool. That was very interesting about the dot watch as well. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. That actually does sound very cool. Um, that did. But again, that has seemingly been discontinued in the current form, waiting for something new. So, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. But, uh, yeah, I, I just think something very simple to tell the time. I mean, is it that difficult? It would appear to be. Uh, I don't know why, but that's where we're at. But anyway, as I say, I'm looking at all kinds of options. I've been going through the RNIB website here in the UK and all the different tactile options and all the different talking options, trying to find the best one. And um, all suggestions welcome. And also, you kind of want to be a bit fashionable. And why is it they're always so small? 
They're always oh, tiny. Yes. Yes, that's true. Why is well, that? I tell you, what, I tell you where is a great resource that may be worth a look, Stephen Scott, and that is the uh, the list on www.doubletaponair.com. How Our very you? own gift guide, if you will. Have you tried there? Oh, well, I have, funnily enough, and that has cost me enough money so far. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. There are options in there as well, so I will go back and check those out too. Uh, listen, that's it for today. Uh, back tomorrow, lots more. Talking about the Amazon Echo tomorrow. Is it still viable in 2024? David Watt from Echo Tips Podcast joins us. We'll catch you then. Thanks, Sean. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.